we at Around Grandfather Fire would like to express our solidarity for Black Lives Matter. We stand with you and every marginalized group that's seeking justice. Imagine yourself under a starry sky around the warm glow of the sacred fire as your hosts Saren Odinson, Jim Toosnakes, and Caitlin Stormbreaker talk about shamanism, animism, books, science, psychology, pop culture, and more. Welcome to a show inspired by those late night conversations by real life spiritual practitioners. Won't you come and join us around Grandfather Fire? Often havili have to frenzy, to will, to the sacred, to the holy ones who gave us breath, blooming hue, and vitality, gave us wit, wisdom, and measure. Hail to you, holy ones, who brought air to our lungs, freshness to our lives, to our eldest ancestors reaching back in time. Hail to the eldest two from whom all come. Let us never forget that we come from the ground, from earth itself. Ash and elm, Oscar and Embla, our ancestors, made from driftwood, cut from your body. All this varied beauty, unfolding, unfolding, unfolding in mind, in heart, and soul. We are beauty, unfolding, unfolding, unfolding. We are richness, unfolding, unfolding, unfolding. Because you first gave us the gift. And so in turn, we give and on and on the cycle goes down from generation to generation down 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 from the deepest roots to the tallest branch we are like yggdrasil and our roots are deep let us never forget that no matter how tall we grow no matter where we roam that our roots are found in this, our home. So thank you for that first gift. Both in Vili and Ve. And thank you for that first gift. Yorth, Earth Mother. Thank you always. Let's do Heil. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Around Grandfather Fire. You're listening to episode number 60, believe it or not. I am Jim Tuesdakes, joined as always by my good friends and co-hosts, Sarah Thornson and Caitlin Stormbreaker. How are you both doing tonight? I personally am exhausted. 
<laughs> it's been one of those days, has it? Or um, well, the the course of the last two weeks, like you guys know, has been very very heavy for me, and I haven't had a whole lot of time to actually sit down and process anything. And so I think those emotions are slowly starting to catch up with me. And I've had little tiny moments where they've hit really hard and I've given myself the space and time to do it. But then it's like, all right, we have other shit to do. So (laughs) pull your shit together. We got to, you know, go do X, Y, or Z, but work will be over soon. So I will be back on a more lax schedule here pretty soon and have time to actually sit down and dig. So looking forward to that. What about you, Terrence? How are you doing? Actually, I'm doing pretty good. I took a really quick power rest before we uh, showed up and (laughs) power nap. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So um, my, my evening has been pretty good. Uh, I was going to work out this morning and then my body went, that's cute. (laughs) Nope. No, you're not. <laughs> so that's probably going to be on my agenda for the morning tomorrow. I, It's on my mind because I, I've been pretty proud of my accomplishments so far. Uh, I've been able to raise my average poundage by about 15 pounds. So awesome. I went from 60 to 75 on most of my, my work. And considering awesome. it, I've taken a couple months off, I think that's pretty good. So that's I'm doing about... Uh, how how do they how do they put it? It's uh, what ten reps, three sets, or something like that that I'm doing. So mm-hmm. you know, not a lot, but I'm also doing a lot of explosive because I'm trying to build muscle, not just break my uh, belly fat down. So I'm doing aerobic and mm-hmm. weightlifting together. So yeah, and it's it's actually good to have the the aerobic slash cardio in there because if you do that first, then your body's already in that fat burning mode, and then you add the weightlifting on top of it, and you tend to burn more fat that way whilst building muscle. So it's mm-hmm. it's really neat how the body does that. Oh yeah, and you know um, something that actually comes up in the Skiff Blathnir forum. Um, over on Discord quite a bit is uh, they actually have a dedicated channel now to athletic cultists. And so it's been really cool to see all the different ways that people express their spirituality through exercise and how this reaches back to antiquity. Awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. What about you, Jim? How have you been doing? (laughs) Oh, pretty well, actually. I'm, I'm happy to report that black Friday, the, the retail hell was not overwhelmed with people and I was able mm. to avoid them, which meant that I did not have to quarantine for 14 days and uh, life is good. <laughs> so other than that, the only thing that the, the report is uh, uh, getting ready for the holiday times, which means that I'll be essentially having seven or eight days without pay this year because I'm a mm. worker at the other job. So that'll be, mm-hmm. that sucks. but you know, that's the way things go. Yeah. Yeah, I am actually really surprised and maybe it's because I'm not on any form of social media anymore, but I didn't hear a whole lot of like bitching and complaining about the fact that there really was no in-store Black Friday shopping this year. Most of it, if you looked at all the ads, it was all online and you could only get those deals if you shopped online. So, yeah, I'm really proud of that. Retail Hell, where I worked at, the extended it out throughout an entire week. You know, once items were gone, mm. they were gone, but they the right. price they extended the entire week trying to keep 
people the from, crowds yeah exactly yeah. so i want to jump right in if you guys don't mind uh this yeah, is go a for it. guest that we've been really looking forward to and this is one of those cases for for the people that are listening to around grandfather fire that we had a request there was a lot of people on our discord and had talked about experiencing anaphasia and or anaphantasia and that's the inability to see in the mind's eye like most people do uh, i think it affects roughly 20% of the population i think might have been the record the the number i read earlier and so getting a request we've always told you all that when we get a request we do our best so mm-hmm. i started reaching out and looking and i came up with someone who is an expert in this field and does motivational speaking and a few other things so we would like to welcome to the show eric martinez thank you for joining us tonight we really appreciate it thank you for having me thank you for having me and it's called a fantasia uh, and it, yeah and it affects roughly 2% of the population. You said 20. I wish it was that many, but it's only two. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. All right. Well, I have documented on record uh, for slaughtering at least something and saying it incorrectly every show. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, right on, <laughs> I'm right on target. <laughs> Getting it out of the way early. So thank you so much for joining us. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Well, uh, my name is Eric. Thank you for having me. Thank you to the listeners for listening. I do have aphantasia. And uh, I discovered it about uh, three years ago in myself. And that's pretty normal for people like me. Uh, They normally discover that they can't, that their minds work a little bit differently, that they can't visualize later in life. Uh, They normally assume that when people say, uh, I was, it was like I was there again, or picture this, that it's all a metaphor. That's what we all think it is until one day we discover to our surprise that people can think of a bouncing ball and actually experience it in their mind in some way with the visual. Uh, but uh, as far as personally, my name's uh, Eric Martinez, of course. I, uh, uh, my job is I'm, an, I'm a neurophysiologist. So I, I work mainly with uh, the nervous system during spine surgery. That's, my, wow. that's how I get paid. Uh, but my, my real passion is to talk about aphantasia and to talk about a, a related condition called severely deficient autobiographical memory, uh, which uh, I have a podcast about and I'm hoping to plug later on with uh, shamelessly. I just started it and, and I think the, the way you, you saw, you found me is because I'm an, I'm a moderator on Reddit for the aphantasia uh, forum and also for the severely deficient autobiographical memory forum. So I, I, you called me an expert and I would say, uh, humbly that I might be only because <laughs> I've read so many posts and so many uh, questions from people. And I've had to answer so many things that over time, you just get used to the material and you're able to mm-hmm. talk about it with confidence. But in reality, the experts uh, work a- in university settings and they barely well, discovered I mean, that's the same level of expertise. The three of us have in our field. And honestly, uh, when I was looking around for resources, that Reddit forum is amazing. There's tons of conversations on it all the time and i learned a lot just perusing through there so uh both people that are on that reddit forum and and you as one of the moderators there's what two moderators is it both is there two of you there's there's five of us on the aphantasia five. reddit and there's about twenty thousand members that talk yeah and it's it. like in a fantastic Cow. resource for information it really is 
Yeah, so you should plug the, the Reddit forum too so that some of our listeners might be able to jump on and get some of their answers, questions that aren't answered here. Oh yeah, it's called, it's called, uh, it's reddit.com slash r slash aphantasia. If you just Google aphantasia Reddit, it's the first thing that pops up. And if you have, an, if you have a Reddit account, you can post on there, you can join up and people are really welcoming there. So that it's, uh, we're really friendly. So if anybody has any questions, we'll always answer as best as we can. That's fantastic. That's really amazing. So the the question I would have is, is um, or start with is I, I do have, uh, one of the things I am sure of is many stories where you were talking about where people just thinking like the bouncing ball was a metaphor and discovering it was real that uh, to, in, in, for some people, they can visualize it. Um, was that a really big startling thing for you? Was that like a huge surprise or did you always kind of suspect or? I think that, uh, cause for me, a Fantasia has been present since birth mm-hmm. and I've always been a little bit odd as far as others cons- consider me because I'm always in almost in a good mood whenever people are mean to me or uh, something bad happens to me. I kind of get over it like almost instantly uh, because of my lack of episodic memory, which is really what this is. I I can't relive a memory in an episodic way, which means I can't I can't mental time travel. Like uh, Mm -hmm. I've I've read about that before. the, The fact that people can travel in their mind to the past and relive an event or an experience. And that to me seems almost like a superpower. And that loss of that, I never, I never lost the ability, but the fact that I was aware that that existed and that I can't do it and probably, probably never will, that really did kind of put me in a, in a slight depression. And I think most people that discover that they have aphantasia at first are shocked. Like you said, like, as you could imagine, they're shocked that people have this, uh, this, this brain that can, it's like they're bot, it's like they live in two universes, right? The physical universe, the one we're existing in now, which is the one I experience only I can, I can see, I can see this screen. I can see your face. I can see my body. I can feel my body, but there are people, most of humanity that can, that have almost another body in a mental landscape where they can practice skills, uh, see their loved ones, uh, re-experience an event. Uh, and to me, that seems insane, like absolutely insane, but here we are. And apparently it's real. And uh, I was, I, I read a book uh, a long time ago when I first discovered about aphantasia and, and SDAM, because as you can tell, I was just blown away. So I just did a lot of research on inner experience. And there's a professor from the University of Nevada in Las Vegas. Uh, he uh, wrote a book called Investigating Pristine Inner Experience, where he gives people beepers. And each time, like randomly during the day, the beeper goes off and they have to write down exactly what's going on in their mind. And he trains them to be very, very specific. And one of uh, his key points was that everybody normally assumes that everybody else ha- has the same mind or thinks exactly the same way. It's called the presupposition. And that's the first thing they have to get rid of because it's, it's not true. Uh, everybody thinks a little bit differently. In my case, I have no visuals. And aside from that, I also have no inner monologue. So I can't hear myself thinking in my own voice. I can't have a song stuck in my head because I have no inner hearing. I, I can't feel any emotions about anything that's ever happened to me, good or bad. So it's, it's one of those things that I'm kind of always stuck in the present moment, almost like a Buddhist monk, always here, always in the present. I can't fantasize about the future because, again, I don't have an imagination. So it makes me a little bit strange, but I think I've come to uh, accept how I am. And I think most people with aphantasia eventually come 
to an acceptance that they just have to live with the, what they have and do the best with it. Now, see, I consider that a superpower, superpower because yes, exactly. I, I am an overthinker and I overthink everything. And it's one of my main practices to remind myself every day, like, no, that person thinks very differently from me. And it took me a long time to come to terms with that. And just accept people for who they are and why they do what they do for whatever reason. I may or may not ever know that. Um, but to just be able to, without a struggle or without coaching yourself, to just be fully present in the day would honestly be such a relief to me as a person. Um, I got to say I'm a little jealous. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say I live a pretty stress-free life if, as long as I stay focused on what I'm doing, such as speaking to you. I have, like mm -hmm. everything else kind of disappears, and I'm just like a robot, just right here, ready, and just talking. Like even the words that I'm saying now, I don't really get to pick them; they just kind of come out <laughs> as they want to. So, interesting. That's Cause, amazing. Because we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, you have to really think about your words. You have to really, you know, put a lot of thought and effort into them, and you're and you're the way that you're expressing is just, it's completely off cuff. And that's really fascinating. As somebody that does a lot of visualization as somebody who does a lot of pre-thinking his dialogue, that sounds really challenging to me. Cause I do a lot of, of like almost kind of a self coach kind of a thing where, you know, I'll talk a conversation out. Well, if it branches here, this is what I might say. So that's interesting that, that there's an entire group of people and 2% of the population might seem pretty small, but when you're talking about a country with, you know, 370 million people, that's not a small chunk of people. Yeah. One in 50, it's a lot of people. And, uh, the, and the real interesting thing for me personally is that other condition I was talking about, uh, severely deficient autobiographical memory, uh, the, uh, wired, uh, did a couple articles about, uh, some people that had it. And it's basically aphantasia, except, with everything. You're not just missing the visuals, you're missing everything like me. You're missing the auditory and, and the inner inner audio, you're missing the feelings. So we remember our past as far as facts. We have a very good semantic memory. I'll know if something happened or didn't happen most of the time, but I'll never experience the details. So mm -hmm. I, for instance, I'm married. I got married a, a couple of years ago. I couldn't tell you what I was wearing, I, what my wife was wearing. I can kind of, I can, guess but it's not present right i don't see it and i don't feel anything so i know that it happened but in order for me to find the date i'd have to do a lot of, of, of mental math like i have no idea it's it's like gone it's 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 almost uh, a dream and i i'll know that it happened and i'll be sure and i might know some details but it's not a, a reliving and mm -hmm. to me that 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 frees me up again from a lot of bad things that have happened to me trauma-related events, I know that they happen, but do they cause me any anxiety or sadness or, or fear or anything? No, I've learned from these events, but I don't get, to, I don't have to experience them again because my brain has kind of stolen them away from me. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I started the, the SDAN podcast, because uh, if I'd say about half of the people with aphantasia also have uh, SDAN, and if that's 1% of the population, they might uh, be, because if you find out hey, I don't remember my past. I'm not going to be able to see my child's first steps ever again. Like, you know that it, there's something wrong. Like, there's, it's not, like, for instance, uh, 
my 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 uh, my personal autobiography autobiography if i wanted to write it down for you i might get a couple pages of facts and that's it like that and if you think about that to have that as evidence of your life is pretty traumatic in the moment so i try to look at the bright side and i try to talk about it in more of a positive light and i also try to talk about eventage because i i bet some of your listeners may be coming to the realization right now that oh i am i guess i can't visualize because He's saying that people actually see things. I thought it was all a metaphor. They're going through the process of discovery themselves. So I just want to say to them, if you are finding out now that you have aphantasia, it's going to be okay. A lot of people have it. We just think a little bit differently. And I do think it does uh, affect my spirituality and, you know, something that you guys are very keen on, uh, very in, uh, invested in, because I wouldn't consider myself a very spiritual person at all. I, I'm very materialistic. Again, because the only things I've ever experienced are, uh, you know, solid things or things that I can see with my vision. I can't, like, uh, imagine the worst and see something or imagine a God as described to me. Even when I read a book, it's not like I see the characters. I just read the words and understand with comprehension. There's nothing else. And so if you think like that, you would think that I'd be more into, like, science and reason-based uh, processes and that's how it turns out. A lot of people with aphantasia happen to be in the sciences. They happen to be researchers and people that do these abstract, uh, uh, heavy careers because to them it's what they gravitate towards. Right. And, uh, and I would say people that are highly visual that have a lot of – because there's a, on the opposite end of aphantasia, there's something called hyperphantasia, which is people that can imagine things as real as if it were real life in their mind. They tend to be more of the spiritual type. They tend to be more of the, uh, uh, the, the, they think of more in details. I think mostly in concepts only. And people with aphantasia would agree normally. That's how they think. I think interestingly enough, though, as Caitlin was pointing out about how a lot of meditations are trying to teach you to live in the moment and experiencing things as they are without anxiety or hesitation, I, I could actually make the argument you're the most spiritual of the four of us here. Well, I, I, I've read that people say, oh, monks wish they could be like me. People on the Aphantasia Reddit have said that before. And the first thing I ask is, when did you meet a monk to tell you these things? <laughs> but then the second thing I'd say is, would they? Would they not? I don't know. I think it, I think it has its pros and cons. Uh, but uh, especially like for someone like me that has thought about this a lot, I think about the spiritual type uh, the aspect. And I've gone so deep into the uh into thinking about uh emotions because i've had uh, some thoughts about that because for instance uh my mother died a few years ago and i was thinking i think about her a lot but only when i get to see her picture for instance or only when i when i see a reminder of something that she liked to do otherwise she's like not even in my awareness and even when i think about her I can't feel that sadness that I felt when I was there present at her deathbed or when I was there right. at her funeral. And to me, that seems almost inhuman because I, I would like to feel more of the, of this attachment, but that's another thing that people with aphantasia and SAM have. It's almost a lack of attachment to uh, people, to mm -hmm. these concerns that most people are worried about. For instance, finances, a lot of times we're bad at that because we, we don't think about the future very much because we don't, we don't worry about it. We don't think about the past unless it affects us in the moment because we're just present in the moment all the time, like a stone. So it's like, 
it's it comes with its pros and cons. Sure. I would like to be able to visualize when I want to and be able to turn it off when I don't want to. <laughs> But alas, I cannot do it at all ever. And so here we are today. And that's why I get to speak with you kind people. I I think one of the foundations that the three of us tend to believe in strongly is that spirituality is always about where you are as an individual in your life. Mm -hmm. And so I I will stick with that argument with, with amphitheasia or not you're still a spiritual person. If you make that decision, I can't argue against it. I can't tell you what you're more or less can't be, can be. That is not my prerogative prerogative or, 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 or uh, it's above my pay grade. <laughs> that's, that's something that's up to you. So uh, just from my perspective, at least if you, write down on a post-it note and put it on your mirror that says i'm a spiritual person boom that's it that's all it would take you are uh, and there's nobody in the universe could argue against it yeah that that makes a lot of sense to me you're very open-minded jim yeah for me spirituality isn't isn't necessarily all about like feeling and interacting with the divine for me spirituality is more of a lifestyle and it's how you behave um, within your life towards other people. Um, you know, I, I see spiritual people that are like, Oh, I'm so spiritual. And then they're a complete asshole to the person (laughs) behind the counter. And I'm like, you're not a spiritual person because you're not following the path of your spirituality. You're using it as an aesthetic. You know, I strive every day to try to be kind, no matter what mood I'm in to every single person around me or try to enrich another person's life through um, information or being kind to them or sharing what I have or what I know. Like right now, this is a spiritual conversation to me because you're informing us on something that does affect a large group of people who probably many of them are spiritual or feel like they can't be spiritual because they have an, 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 oh God, Aphantasia. Ah, no, I've infected you with it. <laughs> You've gotten me. Part, it could partially be because I'm tired and words are just kind of mush <laughs> for me right now. Um, but I'm what I'm curious about is what, I guess, what works for you. You know, like when somebody says visualize a tree, obviously you can't do that. So how how would that be translated for somebody who has uh, aphantasia? Well, if someone said visualize a tree to me, I would not be able to, I would fail immediately, but Mm -hmm. I know, I know trees. Like, do you remember the semantic memory? Mine is pretty good. So I know, I know the tree uh, would be green. I know that it has bark. I know that it has something called xylem and phloem that allows it to live. I know that it has a root system. I know that it has, uh, soil. I know that it produces uh, uh, sugars. You know, I, I understand these things all at once, but there's never anything uh, concrete that I, a detail that I can latch on to. It's all, it's all or nothing. I just understand it all at once. And if somebody says something else, that's another trigger for me to know what to say in response. So mm-hmm. a lot of people think, say to me, oh, Eric, you seem pretty intelligent for not being able to visualize because to them, thinking is always, it always has some kind of visual component. 
But to me, it's always been a, an abstract con- conceptual component. So mm-hmm. I have language abilities, I have motor skills, and I have the ability to think in concepts. So yeah. whenever people say visualize this, visualize that, I won't be able to, but I can fake it pretty well because I know all of the details of a tree and, I can, and they can say, so what color is your tree? I'll say green. And they'll say, mm-hmm. how tall is your tree? medium height i'm making it up as i go it's it's all a lie really it's not something that i experience inside so i I don't like to say oh i'm lying to you but that's how i've had to deal with life by uh accommodating my lack of episodic memory which is you know that 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 memory that's linked to time you know you you have to fast forward it or or go slow you know that that's something that i'm talking about like i know what i'm talking about but again i've never really done it i've only read about it in books so I'm just describing what I've learned from a book. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I can comprehend vaguely what people do in their minds, but it's not something that I've ever experienced. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. Uh, just uh, it's again, like I said, like I was describing that tree, a tree is green, a tree is tall. Uh, that's what I'm doing here. I'm just describing the concepts that I understand, but not experiencing them. So, uh, and, and a good thing for me about that is I can talk about basically anything and not have a lot of uh, emotional reactions to what I'm saying, because again, it's more of an idea. Uh, I don't get really uh, emotionally invested in an idea. It's mostly, if I, if I had to see something, maybe there would be more of a response on, on my person, but there isn't. So it frees me up to be able to speak about a lot of different topics with a lot of freedom. And if somebody says, visualize this, visualize that, I can kind of go even beyond a simple visualization because I don't see a specific tree. I see all trees that I happen to have memorized the features of. So it, to me, it makes uh, talking to people fun. It makes uh, thinking fun. And uh, I liked what uh, Jim and, and, and also you, Caitlin, what you said about spirituality, because for the longest time uh, after I discovered aphantasia, I was wondering, can I be spiritual if I don't, if I don't believe in a specific God or gods? And then so I said, let me write down all of my thoughts about spirituality and what it could be to be a good person. What is the morality that I should follow if I don't have this dogma telling me you must be good, you must be kind, or you must be selfish, you must be uh, hurtful toward people. Like nothing is telling me that except my observations and experiences. So mm-hmm. what I've done is, is I, I wrote down my personal philosophy and I even gave it a name and it's called symbolism. So what I did is I, I just considered uh, everything that I experience in my mind as like the baseline uh, human thought. Because mm-hmm. if you remember, I was talking about Professor Hurlbert and his book, uh, Investigating Pristine Inner Experience. And in it, he described five uh, different aspects to what most people claim to have going on in their head. Uh, one of them is mental imagery. You know, the image of your mom when you think about her, you might be experiencing it right now since I mentioned her. Uh, you, uh, you have inner hearing, you might be able to hear that favorite song, you might be on a loop, um, you might be able to hear your memories, you have inner speech, it's when you can kind of hear your own voice talking in your head in a sentence, and that could be a thought, uh, you might have sensory awareness, which is when none of that other stuff is present, and you're just completely focused on some kind of sensory event, like looking at the shadow of the sun on your arm, or experiencing the warmth of a nice day. You're not really thinking of anything else. You're just completely involved in this sensory experience. And then there's the final thing, which is what I normally have. It's called unsymbolized thinking. It's when you think uh, in these concepts that, don't, that aren't tied to the visual, to the auditory, 
to the inner speech. It's just a thought. And Herbert said that most people have that, that unsymbolized thought going on every once in a while. They just don't really notice it because it's almost like in the background. Sure. Uh, but uh, for people like me that have aphantasia, that's what we have all the time. And so whenever I was thinking about that and, I, and thinking about the emotional aspect of my memories, because there is none, uh, I was thinking, why do we have emotions? How can I be a better person? What is the answer? So uh, what I did is I, I basically say that everything people experience uh, in, in their mind or in the real world affects them emotionally. And it has to be an experience. For instance, uh, you see something that you dislike and your body will kind of have a trigger or an emotional response. Your, your body will tense up or you might be able to have an emotion. And uh, so if you have this emotion, it's basically training you to how to react to, to the environment. And so what I've done is I've kind of trained myself to be more selfless because what I've read from all of these different uh, aspects of spirituality from like uh, all these different uh, dogmas, they're all, it's always the same kind of met, the same kind of, uh, uh, it's always the same teaching. It's like, you have to be selfless. You have to love your neighbor like yourself, for instance, or uh, be uh, less uh, selfish. But I take it to a whole different uh, uh, aspect because I think of the evolutionary biology, right? I think of animals as the most, many times the most selfish things that, that we, like we have a selfish aspect to us because we're mammals we are animals, but we also have reason. We also have this, this higher thinking that can make us more selfless. So if we just lean on to the selflessness, you know, like try to help other people accomplish their goals instead of your own goals, I think it makes people generally happier. So that's what I try to do now. Uh, maybe it's not because the Bible told me so or uh, some, some, uh, some person told me so. I have to kind of trick myself into thinking about what am I? How do I think? What, what are my emotional responses? How can I change them to help other people instead of myself? And that lets me in general have more of a, uh, more of a, a laid back life, because if I'm just worried about other people and helping them, I really don't have to worry about myself very much. And when you, once you start doing that, helping other people, they start helping you right back for some reason, maybe it's because they're grateful, or maybe it's because uh, you, you, like some people say, you're manifesting this positivity. I don't know what it is, but when you start being more selfless, things start going better for you in general, and you feel better. So that's, that's, that's my uh, personal spirituality, I guess. It's just to, to try to be really powerful too, honestly, Mm -hmm. because you arrived at it with, like you said, without the dogma, it wasn't told to you. It wasn't, it's you actually arrived at it on your own, which makes that really a powerful statement. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would actually argue that you're, more spiritual than a lot of people because a lot of people do selfless things with the idea of my God is a terrible God. And if I don't do this, he's going to smite me kind of thing. You chose to do it on your own. You know, like you said, you didn't have that dogma. You didn't have that God up there going, you better fucking do this or, you know, bad on you kind of thing. Even taking it away from gods or goddesses or something like that, where, uh, it's removed from a, situ- a situation where like I can 
do something good for somebody else because I might be able to visualize how grateful they'll be and all this other mm-hmm. stuff, but that's mm-hmm. been removed from your situation. If I'm understanding mm-hmm. what you're describing correctly, Eric. So that means that the intent is even more pure to a lot of, to, to a large degree. Yeah. It feels almost like a surrender really, because in my, in my mind, once, once I started thinking about how everybody thinks a little bit differently, I took it to the extreme I said, okay, what if everybody is almost their own universe? Like, because if I had your mind, Jim, I would, and I lived your life moment to moment, I 100% guarantee that I'd probably be sitting right there in that chair doing the exact same thing you're doing, because that's what's right. That's what to you is correct. And I can never take that away from you because you've had your own experience and you think in your own way. So if I start saying to myself, everybody that I argue with, Everybody that I disagree with is actually right. And I'm actually right too, if only because we're two different realities. Because again, with my, with my thoughts about spirituality, I basically told myself, we're basically right, living in a simulation of our own control. Because whenever we uh, experience something with our senses, for instance, I see something with my eyes, or I feel something with my touch, or I smell something with my, uh, my, uh, my smell, my olfactory bulb, like I, I can experience it but i'm maybe i'm experiencing it it uh, differently than jim is or or caitlin is or sorenth is it's so different that to them it's bad whatever they smelled but to me it's actually good am i right or are they right we're both right so why don't i just agree with the other person and try to see their point of view even though i can't really because i don't have visualization i just believe them and it makes life so much easier for me if i just agree with people stop arguing stop being negative agree with people, even if what they say is completely wrong, in my opinion, I just say, no, they're right. And I'm right. So let's get along and let me help them in some way, even if it's helping them by saying, hey, you're on the wrong path. Or hey, in my opinion, this is it. Uh, Sometimes you have to correct people because what they're doing is wrong for the community, for instance. And that's, that's the main, uh, that's my main morality. If it's bad for the community, it's bad. If it's bad for me, it might not be bad because that's that's a selfish feeling. If, if it's bad for me, it might still be good for the community as a whole. And a lot of my thoughts have gone back to a, 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 an ancient philosophy called Stoicism, which you might be familiar with. And it's something that I've, I've really like latched onto. I've, I've read the meditations by Marcus Aurelius for years, and, I've, and I, and I uh, consider it very good advice. And I've just taken that and my background in neuroscience, because, again, I do that neurophysiology thing. That's all I think about. Uh, so and another key aspect of my philosophy is that we kind of our goals as humans is to explain the universe to ourselves, to establish order on reality. Because, again, since we're, we're, we're taking in this sensory stimulus and in our minds, we're constructing a reality. So what, what we're doing is constructing this reality to ourselves. And everybody has their own reality, their own little universe, their own correct view of the world. So why not just incorporate everybody's view into one and say, you know what, the, the right thing to do is what's good for everyone because we're social animals and the selfishness was never the answer. Uh, getting rid of your ego was. And if we do that, and if everybody does that, we might live in a better world. So that's, that's my view on, on uh, my, my purely materialistic view <laughs> on, on how to live the good life is just, and I explain it to myself in a way that's kind of convoluted, 
but it's the way I think. So it's the only way I can uh, uh, do it. Yeah. I honestly wouldn't say it's convoluted to my mind. It's logically consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with your tie in to, in to stoicism, which is really funny because I'm a heathen and um, stoicism has a lot in common with heathenry of letting go and um, the understanding that you can uh, take the good and the bad and then choose to react in a way that isn't an emotive response. And that uh, is pretty much pure stoicism when you dig right down to it. As I understand stoicism, it's, yep, I have taken in the information and I have discarded what is not relevant and I'm making my choice based on what's left. It's something that, as you're talking, really kind of struck me was um, what you're describing when, you, when I'm, as I'm listening to this and drilling into it and going, hmm, is it's not Kantian which is really fun to me because folks would assume that, you know, you have to have the right intention. Well, no, cause you're actually, you're looking at like net results. Does this benefit the community? Does this benefit? Does this uh, action I take, does this benefit the people within this community? And that's very much a virtue ethics approach. And that to me is just, absolutely fascinating. I, I love that you went back to the ancient philosophers on this one, because there's so much wisdom there. And um, what, where I'm tying this into to my spirituality and my understanding as a polytheist is that my baseline worldview is that the world is full of gods, ancestors, and spirits. Whether or not we can talk with them, whether or not an individual can talk with them, the worldview's base assumption is that everything from rocks, trees, the smallest grain of sand to the brightest galaxy in the universe is a person in some fashion. And I consider polytheism accessible to everybody, regardless of whether visualization is in your toolkit or not, because I look at visualization as a tool and some people treat it like it's a hammer and damn near everything's a nail. (laughs) So, um, so I guess where I'm coming from is that to me, my, my mind, my expression of polytheism is that it's accessible to everybody because whether or not you experience the gods, you can set that aside because the praxis of polytheism, the practice of it has benefit for society, has benefit for the individual, has benefit for the relationships you hold. Even if you yourself experience nothing, which is also especially for folks with aphantasia and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the, the other, uh, SDAM or severely deficient autobiographical memory. SDAM. Thank you. Uh, SDAM. Um, to me, this is actually where divination comes in really handy, which might seem really goofy on the surface, but when you're talking about like, say, sortilage tarot cards or plucking a rune out, that's not something you have to think about. All you have to do is have a list of correspondences in front of you. You can have your tarot cards or your runes or whatever works for you. You can have a yes, no stone and an indicator stone. You throw these down and boom, you don't have to visualize. You don't have to think the answer is on the mat in front of you. Um, 
That's fascinating thought, yeah. Like to me, that's that's one of the things that makes polytheism accessible is that visualization is only necessary if the tool at hand requires it. So you might use visualization really heavy or even hyperphantasia with, say, scrying techniques like I'm going to look into a fire and I'm going to see what that fire tells me. Well, if you have a fantasia, you're probably not going to get shit. Because, like you said, the imaginal reality doesn't work with that. But if you throw down a tarot card, well, there's the card and I know what this means this. There's the, you know, it's judgment. Okay, that has these correspondences in the tarot. Boom. You have divination. You don't have to have an internal dialogue for that to be a thing. You can literally just lay something down and boom, there, there it is. There's your answer. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying you, you should definitely go out and buy a tarot card right now. <laughs> my wife has some. She's deeply into that stuff. So she, she has. My wife has some. She, she does it all the time. She tells me when I'm going to do something or not with, with those cards. I've never delved into it. She gives me a hard time about stuff I haven't even done because she saw it happen. <laughs> so that's, I know it's real. It's real in that I get a hard time because of it. So I believe in them too. <laughs> that's, amazing. Oh, wow. that's awesome. I, I honestly, I love that. Um, that is, uh, that is so fresh and, and just a wonderful perspective. I, I really got to hand it to you. <laughs> um. And I wouldn't necessarily say that your approach is more or less pure. I actually want us to go away from that language. It's a different perspective. It's a different perspective, and it isn't inherently better or worse than mine. It's yours. Mm -hmm. And it it has a richness that I can't grok because my brain wiring is over here and yours is over here. And never the twain shall meet because I don't know what it's like not to visualize. Mm. But... I find it really fascinating because by listening to you, my own understanding of certain uh, wiring, I guess, for my head makes more sense because this is where like the building up of symbolism is a big thing. Because if I look at a pentacle, I've got certain associations with it, memories, thoughts, feelings, Whereas, okay, it's a star in a circle. What does that actually say to me? That's a, that's actually a really fresh and refreshing perspective for me. Because I have all these associations and emotions built up around the symbols I, I work with and use. And it's, it's not even a question. I look at a symbol and there's automatic recall of when was the last time I saw this symbol and my brain just kind of ferrets down that particular pathway but when you don't have that sensory information that's to i I just i find your perspective incredibly fascinating and it's yeah i mean some people have told me that before where because it's just so so different and i would say the same thing about about you sarinth like if if i could live a day in your shoes and be able to experience your life I don't, I don't know. It would probably seem magical to me. The universe would seem more full of gods and spirits, in my opinion, because if I would think of them, I might be able to feel something about them, see something about them, remember an experience that I had that seemed otherworldly. And, and over time, those experiences can grow. They can change because that's the way our, our memories work. And maybe they would reinforce my beliefs 
and I would be more, uh, you know, uh, dedicated to this certain path or that certain path. I'm just kind of trapped in a path where I see something and it is what it is in front of my vision. And if I try to remember something about it, it'll be a fact. It'll be a Mm. cold, hard bullet point. It won't be an emotional memory. It won't be an episode. It'll just be a knowledge. So if all I have is knowledge, all I have is what I experienced. Let me try to be a better person in my own way. And, and it's exactly what you said, like all these religions, all these, uh, these different ideologies, these, uh, th- these different ways of looking at the world kind of say the same thing. Uh, you know, be more selfless. Be, uh, think about the other person first. And it's hard to do uh, many times because we have that, that animal-like brain that tells us, no, you have to protect what you have because it'll be taken away, taken away. You have to take, you have to take, you have to be selfish. Mm -hmm. But if we can convince ourselves with, I don't know, uh, a philosophy we've invented like me or with uh, paganism, that the answer might be somewhere else because it, it works. And it does work once you really start to try to be more selfless, once you try to help other people. And, and, Mm -hmm. and again, uh, stoicism helped me a lot to just get that foundation of, yeah, it, there's really nothing really good or bad in the world. It's just our impressions. Our, uh, we can cognitively reframe uh, what we experience to be a better situation or not based on our understanding of events. And it's just, it's an interesting topic. I, I love, I love talking to you uh, and to everybody here. You guys have a lot of good, good, good points. Thank you. One of the things I'm, I'm curious about um, is and and I think it's a way of kind of bridging uh, our our worlds a little bit. Is I'm curious about the process that you go for or, or use for something like goal setting, because obviously a lot of times it, the, the material always talks about visualizing your goal or seeing yourself graduating from college or something like that. So how do you typically go about the process of planning for the future and goal setting or 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 making things happen like that? Do you enlist help for that? Are there methods that you use? You know, I've recently, I, I used to be very bad at this. Uh, I, I think for goal setting, what you need is motivation and discipline. And those were hard for me because I would always put something off for later. And I would say, oh, I just, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it tomorrow. And I would say this every single day because again, I'm living in the moment. If I say I'll do it tomorrow in the moment, the, tomorrow will never come. I'm always just, I don't get to visualize successes or, or failures. So that, that's a good thing too. If, if I don't visualize a failure, it doesn't demotivate me. But if I don't visualize a success, it doesn't motivate me. So what I've been telling myself recently, which feels very true to me, is that I live in the past. And that uh, recently uh, I came to the conclusion that I was spending too much money, right? Like I, I didn't like, and the only reason I knew that is because I looked at my bank account and there wasn't enough money in there for what I wanted to do. So in the moment, I regretted not spending in the past. But because I can't experience the past again, I don't remember when I spent that money. Or I don't remember what I splurged on. So I, I, just, re- I just took that and I reversed it. And I said, if I don't remember what I spent on, what if I just deny myself? And eventually, given enough time, I'll forget what I denied myself. So it doesn't feel like I suffered. <laughs> So all I did is I said, all I do is say every time I come to a decision, I'm like, oh, I want to buy this cupcake. Ah, I'm living in my past. I'm not even going to remember eating this cupcake. So I put it back. 
or I'm like, I'm about to, I'm about to, I'm about to go online on Amazon and buy something I know I don't need. I'm like, I'm about to buy this. I'm living in my past. I'm going to forget this whole experience. It might feel bad for me to take my hands away from the keyboard. It might feel like a struggle. It might feel like my discipline muscle is getting worked out, but I'll forget. I'll forget about this experience. And when I look back in two weeks, when I get paid again, and there's more money in my bank account, I won't even remember that, oh man, I didn't do what I, I did exactly what I was supposed to. It goes both ways. Now for the, for long-term goals, I have no solution for that yet. Because as long as I, I in my mind, as long as I live in the present with that kind of mindset, that, that, that my discipline is, is kind of attached to my knowing that I'm not going to be able to remember all the bad and the good. I'm not going to remember anything. I'm just going to know the facts if I bother to memorize them. If I just remember that, I feel like my future is kind of, kind of take care of itself. And that's how I've mostly lived since uh, a boy. And people would say, oh, Eric, you're pretty successful now. How did you do it without visualizing? And I'll tell them, I don't know. I just did whatever felt right in the moment. And here I am. When I was 19, I joined the Navy. And that was probably one of the better decisions that I did. I went out, uh, went on ships, came back, went to college, because that's what it felt like the right thing to do. After college, I got a job and now I'm working. So, I mean, that, that seems like it should have been a plan from the beginning, but there was never a plan because it's too much for my brain to kind of keep to itself this mm -hmm. long-term plan. Like I can't see myself in 20 years. So I'm just hoping that I keep that mindset of I'm living in the past, take, take the good and the bad, you forget about it anyway. And in the moment you're going to be taken care of as long as you're disciplined. So that's, that's my answer to that question. One of the things I was reading on one of the Reddit forums, I think it was, was that, uh, that being that people with aphantasia, aphantasia have uh, uh, a very scientific mindset and are very good at looking at, at the cold, hard facts, that what some people have been doing is, and that's where I asked about enlisting help, because you get somebody that can help you, you can state your goal, they can help visualize it and come up with steps. And then once you have steps, you're excellent at following those steps. It's a, and, and so it's a, it becomes a partnership for how to get people to, to a future state. And I was wondering, uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, it would be nice if I had a friend that could do it for me, but I, I've, <laughs> I've never, like my, even my wife, she has aphantasia too, uh, luckily or, or unluckily. So we're both in the same boat here. We're kind of going as we go. But uh, if, if I did have somebody like that, it's almost like an exogenous visualization. You're, you're just kind of using somebody else as a tool to help you. You're, That's you're a good outsourcing idea. Outsourcing the visualization. Outsourcing it. <laughs> That's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> it's actually a brilliant idea, especially if you trust that person to kind of help you along that path. Um, I was actually really kind of curious. So because you live so much in the moment, is there, like, how do you... I guess, do you experience like doubt in a situation? Like, do you doubt anything that you're about to do? Or is it just kind of like a, is this a good or a bad thing? You know, like, cause it, for me, when I, it, when I experience doubt, it's because if I'm presented with a situation, I visualize outcomes of what might happen. And so I experience doubt and that kind of bogs me down and makes me not want to do the thing. Does well, that make sense? Yes, I, 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 I think so, because you, you, present, you present yourself with various options and, and it's almost like too much. Like what, yeah. which, what could happen? And you overthink it and it might even delay you. 
for me, uh, if I do feel doubt, but it's, it's always very small and it's always with something that's very immediate. Like I don't go very far. Like I, I remember I had a friend once who told me, man, if I fail this class, I'm not going to graduate with a high GPA. If I don't graduate with a high GPA, I'm not going to go to med school. If I don't go to med school, I'm not going to get a job as a doctor. If I don't get a job as a doctor, I'm not going to get that wife that I wanted. If I don't get that wife that I want, I'm not going to have a family. So they go deep. So that is the doubt that they have uh, sometimes just about completing a test on time. When me, for me, the doubt would be, did I study enough? Let me study. If I study, I'm confident. So I don't, I can't think too far ahead so I'm, I'm kind of trapped. So I do feel doubt, but it's about immediate things. Mm-hmm. And as long as the immediate things I've experienced before, because that's, that's something that, that researchers say about people with aphantasia, we're really good at solving problems because we cut through the episodic processes. We don't have to visualize everything. We just kind of know the answer based on experience and based on uh, what would likely happen based on like an arithmetic that we somehow do in our mind. So we, I just lean on that. It's just one of the things that I'm good at remembering facts. And if the fact says this is probably okay, it's either a one or a zero for me, really, yes or no, then I'm just going to do it. That's awesome. Um, actually, one of the ways that I have been able to develop my problem solving skills is when I'm presented with a problem that I can't immediately come up with a solution to is I set the problem down and I walk away from it and I go do something else. Like I do a menial task that forces my brain to not overthink the situation. And during that menial task that I'm working with my hands and doing it like step by step, then all of a sudden I get this like click in my brain and I'm like, oh, right. This, this is a solution to that problem over there. Like that dumpster fire that's happening. I have to go throw this bucket on it because that'll make it go out. Um, but that's, that's really, uh, to me, that's kind of an interesting link between the two, you know, somebody who doesn't have uh, aphantasia um, and is probably bordering on hyperphantasia, honestly, but um, to have that ability to kind of step back and wipe that moment, that problem out of your mind to cut through the bullshit to get down to the solution is is a tool I had to develop that you inherently have. So that's, that's very cool to me. Mm. Sorry. Didn't mean to kill the conversation. <laughs> no, that's okay. I was contemplating. <laughs> I was uh, looking at uh, the questions that we had and the one from mother multiverse seems an interesting one to explore a little bit. Uh, she says she's done a lot of alternate methods using physical objects and actions rather than visualizations and energy and was wondering if you had anything else for the, the toolbox of, of things to do. And so, you know, I'm assuming that uh, that means taking objects and representing like this one actually maybe writing on it or something. This one represents a, a higher amount of income and this one represents a better job. And so when you move those objects closer together, you're setting some sort of level of intent and maybe even putting those objects where you'll run across them enough to, to, to remind you to take actions towards that goal. Is there, are there other things that you can think of that might help with that or might use a similar technique or any other advice you might offer? Well, is because I, I read I read the questions you sent me, and they really initially stumped me because, again, <laughs> I'm not a very uh, I don't really invest a lot of time in into 
these techniques that seem to me to be almost a uh, like a reinforcing tool for something that I basically do uh, anyway, which is just like I don't I can't really focus on a goal because I'm just kind of living like an animal in the present, you know, moving around and reacting to my environment. But as long as I keep a good state of mind, like and and I and and again it goes back to that that thought that I'm just living in a past that's ephemeral that's that will vanish and and away like 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 mist in the sun right so I'm just I, if I as long as I live like that uh, things kind of work out for themselves like I'll always have enough money to take care of my family I'll always have enough energy to do the things that I need to do I'll, I'll be able to live up to people's expectations of me and importantly live up to my own expectations which I think is what makes us in the end happiest. You know, and right now my expectation of myself is to be a better person in that not just saying, oh, I, I, I want to I don't want to be as selfish. I, I want to feel it inside too, like that motivation, that that goal inside of, of, of helping others, because in, like over time, I've just learned that that's what really helps me to be happier. And if 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 this person is trying to use physical objects to 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 uh, to focus on that that's probably what would have worked for me if, if I had gone that route, because again, there's not a lot going on inside of my mind. So I have to have something in front of me. I have to have a talisman for instance, or I have to have a sheet of paper that I read my affirmations on every once in a while to remind myself of my ideals and my ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably what I would suggest. Uh, write something down in, in like, like a note and every, every hour just train yourself to read it. And that'll just, it'll become like second nature and that thought will always be in your mind. It might not be if they're like me with aphantasia, it might not be something concrete, but it'll at least be something there that they can uh, lean to when, when they're in doubt. So that, that would be my suggestion yeah. is just writing something down and reading it every once actually, in a while. I actually tend to think that's uh, the perfect answer. And the question itself and the conversation we've had so far, so far kind of provides that as the solution in the sense that, I think it seems to me that an important part of of this is going to be accepting that your mind does operate differently and it doesn't as long as you don't have as long as you're not trying to force yourself into an expectation that it will work like everybody else's it's going to work just fine you just have to do you do you literally mm -hmm. i mean it has to be you and your circumstance and how your individual mind and life works and and it's the expectation that that is coming from other people that and how they set goals and they do things that's kind of letting you down it's that expectation that's disappointing you the from a from a kind of a stoic perspective of, of wishing something that was that isn't you just have to deal with what's in front of you yeah, it's, it's about self-acceptance. And mm -hmm. I think that if, if that's the first step, accepting yourself as who you are and then trying to better yourself if you need to, if you want to. And the reason, the way you do it is your way. And my way happens to be thinking that I'm an animal that happens to have reason on top of some animal-like brain. Uh, you guys are, are thinking of uh, more of a spiritual aspect about, you know, uh, tradition and history and, and what you've been taught and what you know. And I think everybody's right because everybody has their own brain. Everybody, in my mind, constructs their own reality uh, with their brain, with the tools that they have, with their neuroanatomy. And if you can just uh, work with what you have, uh, accept yourself, I think happiness lies there. And, of course, helping other people to accept themselves, too, you know, because yeah. maybe that's what they want, you know, help mm -hmm. other people with their goals. 
that's that's beautiful. I I I love the way that you view life and in and how you you experience life too. You know, um, a lot of people are either stuck in the future or stuck in the past or both, and they oftentimes miss the present. And it took a lot of um, self introspection and slowing down and pausing and literally stopping to smell the roses to realize that that way of life is better than how I was living before. And although I do kind of dabble back and forth in between the past and the present, I try to live as um, presently as I possibly can, because to me, that is where I am at the most peace. Um, but it's very, very wise and very thoughtful, not to be rude, sorry, that was a terrible word to use, um, to tell people that you have to approach life through your own lens. Like you have to be your own person. You have to be wholly you and experience life the way that you do. And don't try to live up to the expectations that others might have for you because everybody thinks differently. You know, I can't tell you how to approach life. I can't tell you how to approach spirituality because, you know, we are very different, but we're still both human. You know, we both experience life, but it's very different. It's, it's having that understanding and that, um, the care and the love for another individual to hold them, you know, in that, in that space in your life and allow them to experience life the way that you do, or just to experience life next to you. You know, it's having that loving understanding of their existence within your life and not expect anything from them because they have their own expectations of life. Yeah. And I like what you said about living life with your own lens because what we fail to realize a lot of times is that, is that we have no choice but to live life through our own lens. Just like in my case, I have aphantasia, so I have no choice but not to have mental imagery. I have no choice but to, to lose every vacation I've ever had, for instance. I have no choice, but in that same way, everyone else has no choice but to experience those traumatic events again, for instance, like PTSD. Mm-hmm. They have no choice. They have to live with themselves. They have to accept themselves. But it's hard, and it's harder for some more than others. In my case, it was a little bit hard to realize that I didn't have these mental powers that other people have. But there's good and bad with everything, I think. So I had to accept it. You actually said something really um, interesting that caught me earlier. Um, you said it's almost like surrender. Um, and in, there's actually, a in the yogic tradition, there is a practice um, it's one of the uh, niyamas. It's one of the niyamas. I don't quote me on that. Um, but it's called Ishvari Pranidhana. And it is literally surrendering yourself to whatever it is. Um, you can surrender yourself to the divine. You can surrender yourself to an idea. You can surrender yourself to a, a practice or an ideal, a moral, whatever. You can even surrender yourself to yourself. And it's literally that practice of, I am giving this away, whatever it is, I am surrendering it over to whatever, whatever it may be for you, whatever the divine may be, whatever the universe may be, whatever your life may be, and releasing that, that sense and allowing yourself that moment of surrender is so blissfully 
calming and peaceful and you suddenly realize, oh, it's not that bad. You know, I can accept who I am and I can start here. This is a great place to start right where I am. And learning to figure out who you are is a beautiful practice in life. If that's all you do throughout your entire life, that is wonderful because it gives you such a wonderful perspective, not only on yourself, but those around you as well. Yeah, to me, surrender is, is almost just a synonym with acceptance because yeah. we have, like, again, because my, my, my history of reading a stoic, stoic thought, it's just there's nothing that really belongs to us. Even our own bodies are out of our control. Like, we, could get a, we can get an illness tomorrow. Like, look at the time we live in now with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We could get that today, and it could change our lives forever, you know, or, or it could end our life. And, and it's not something we have complete control of. Does that mean we have to uh, dance and, and, and smile when we get sick? No, but it means that we have to understand that these things are possible. And mm-hmm. if it's out of our control, it, it's not a lot, it's not very useful to, to expend a lot of brain power on it, but to worry mm-hmm. so much about it because you're, you're losing yourself in this worry. And I think that with people that have visualized heavily, they might be trapped in that kind of loop where they, they, uh, they see the worst or they have a lot of regrets about the past and they just relive the past over and over to the, to the uh, detriment of their present. And now uh, I might not have a lot of uh, authority in this uh, subject because honestly, I don't have the option to regret a lot of things because they're just, they just don't, they just don't come up. But I think that if people um, kind of lived a little bit more in the moment, yeah, they, they'd probably surrender more and feel, realize that it is a good, it's not just giving up. It's not, it's not pathetic. It's something mm-hmm. that, we're we're inside we have inside of us to do and as long as we can reframe our thoughts on it uh most people want to argue with that person that they're they disagree with they want to they get something out of it but that's only in the moment and you're it's always going to be to your detriment so Mm -hmm. like whenever i said surrender earlier i was mostly focusing on my interactions with other human beings and because to me that's probably the most important thing that i do when i'm by myself i'm pretty much okay, I'm almost like a little kid, right? I'm just laying around watching a show or I'm not worried about anything. But once I start interacting with people, that's when trouble starts. I, I, could, I could choose to argue or I could choose to make them feel bad. I could choose that or I could choose the opposite just to surrender and say, you know what, you're right. Because again, with my worldview, everybody's right. So there's no reason to argue with anybody because if I lived their life, if I had their brain, if I had their powers, I would be doing the exact same they did. And so I accept them for who they are, even if, according to my worldview, they're the most evil person in the world. But I just, I'm trying to be better. And if, if, uh, if that's spirituality, then I say I'm spiritual, even though it's hard for me to, uh, to latch on to these uh, other things people talk about when they, when they say they're spiritual, because they're, they're more concrete things. Like, for instance, what Sarah was talking about about the tarot cards to me i see them and i'm like those are just cards they're just they're just it's just chance it can't be it can't be but my wife is like nope and she's putting them down and she's and she's talking about them and i'm like oh she knows she knows more than me so i i accept i accept that she's right and i'm right too it's not that like it's not mutually exclusive mm-hmm. in my mind and that's helped me with a lot of stress overall mm-hmm. in my life recently that's actually a really important thing though like so yeah, the tarot cards are literally just cards. I mean, yeah. and, it, and the history of the tarot cards is yeah, they were playing cards. 
<laughs> they got they got adapted to this use. And so, you know, you're right. And she's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and when I'm throwing down runes, yes, they are literally chunks of iron with carvings in them. But, you know, so you are right from your perspective. And you're also right in assuming that your wife knows what she's talking about. And so that, to me, that's actually really a beautiful thing. Yeah. And that consistently striving to be a better person and this assumption or this, uh, this worldview that people are right enables a, a an open-mindedness that I don't see in a lot of folks. Um, it's, it's something that, it's it's really a beautiful thing because it's this openness in the moment that even I will struggle with at times because um, I was recently talking with some uh, folks who identify as omnitheist online. Um, I was talking with them on TikTok, and my perspective is is that all gods may exist. Their position is that all gods do exist, and that is a pretty important distinction. That um, I said, okay, well, how do you differentiate a god from a not god? And they're like, we don't, and I, it it really threw me because, from my perspective, I need that discernment in order to, to determine if I'm actually talking to a god or if I'm talking to a spirit. They're like, yeah, we don't worry about that at all. And I'm like, it, it really kind of made me sit back and go, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of, in, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're, they're, they're aphantasic, but it's a very similarly accepting position of the assumption that you're right, I'm right. And that while our worldviews might clash on things, that doesn't necessarily make you wrong in terms of, um, the ultimate truth of the matter. And I, I, wow, that is to me, that is an incredibly open concept with a lot of power in it because you can hold your own perspective and you can hold your own boundaries about what right and wrong are while accepting that this other person's perspective, as you mentioned earlier, them being their own universe is still a valid thing in play. Yeah. Because it, it all started when I, when I was thinking about, an ant, believe it or not, and about how an ant experiences the world. You know, it goes around, it smells its pheromones, it cooperates with its neighbors. It, could, it depending on what it eats, become a worker ant or become a soldier ant. You know, it it can it can change over time. But and I would think, is that ant conscious? And I say yes because it can make changes in the world. It can make choices. And I think to myself, am I better than an ant or not? And I say no because we both construct our own reality based on what, what the environment has given us, in this case, a brain or neurons. And that's and like, I've always thought about it in a very materialistic way. So because of, because of that, because I, I think that whenever people experience, like even the fact that let's say, uh, Sarenthi, you were sitting next to me right here on the couch next to me, just because you're sitting right next to me, you have by definition a different perspective of something that's walking by in front of me. Does that mean that I'm right and you're wrong or that you're right and I'm wrong? No, it's just a different perspective. And if we go further than that, 
your eyes function different than mine because when I joined the Navy, they revealed to me that I was colorblind, something oh. that I was not aware of at all, right? So I'm, I'm completely unaware that I see blues and greens or reds a little bit differently than, ever, than most people. But to me, that's still red. And to you, that's still red. But if we take that even further, we bring all of this sensory perception into our minds. Uh, inside, you have a whole different universe, a whole different experience. I don't have access to that second universe where you may have even godlike powers. You can imagine a, an army of ants, you know, coming to talk to you in, in, in Russian, like something like I don't even know where that came from, by the way. So I'm like, I, I just I don't imagine that thing. It doesn't make sense to me. It's all concepts. So since I thought, you know, for the first, what, 28 years of my life, I thought everybody thought like me. Right. Uh, once I realized that n practically no one thinks exactly like me because of my uh, deficits, as some might call it, that made me think, what if everybody thinks a little bit differently and everybody is a little bit right and a little bit wrong? Everybody is just who they are. They're just organisms that are uh, interpreting the environment the way their bodies have made it easiest for them to be alive without expending too much energy. And that energy expenditure is mostly emotions, in my opinion. If we get we get riled up because we're prepared to fight, or we get sad because we're prepared to have to deal with this environment that just came up to us. Some people get sad about some things. Some people get sad about other things. In my case, I would be sad about my computer breaking. Somebody else might not care about computers at all, and they just want to get rid of it anyway. So I guess my point is that's why I think that everybody's right, because if I had, if I happen to live your life, if I happen to have your brain, I would have agreed with you. I would have, I would be you, like genuinely. So I'm, I, that's why I keep an open mind. And if aphantasia and SDAM helps me, I'm glad that I have it because even if in the moment it feels really bad to accept this other person's worldview, it feels really bad to say, you know what, I think you're right in your own way. I don't really want to argue, but this is my opinion. And if, even if that feels bad, again, because I live in the past, I kind of forget it. And it goes away and it never, ever comes back. I can't, mm. I can't retrieve it. I can't retrieve those bad feelings. I can't retrieve the good feelings, which could be negative. But in my mind, it's good because uh, I, I consider us living on like a line, right? We're always in the middle, like centered, for instance, one with the universe, as some might call it. Whenever we experience something good, uh, we, 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 we go forward in the line. But if we lose that good feeling, we come back. That back motion is almost a negative experience. Mm. Whenever we have something bad happen to us, oh, no, we feel bad. We're going over here. When, when that issue is resolved, we feel a good feeling when we come back to the center. What if we just tried to stay in the center all the time and not let things affect us so much because we're going to eventually end up there anyway? I think that's where we have to be. And I, I think about this all the time for some reason. And that's why I kind of ramble on about it. Please forgive me. <laughs> I, I appreciate it, though, because, like, from my perspective, this makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. As a polytheist and an animist, I am not categorically better than the smallest grain of sand or the largest galaxy. We exist on a continuum of spheres of influence, but we're not inherently better. We just happen to be at this point in the universe versus that point. Um you know, uh, I think it was it Marcus Aurelius who said the uh, rain falls on the heads of the just and the unjust alike. I think that was in the Bible. It was in the Bible? Okay, that's right. Uh, it's been a bit. Um, 
but I mean, that's that for me is actually a fairly big truth. I mean, you can, you can get an umbrella to mitigate that, but the rain's still going to fall. And so, um, as a, as a polytheist and animist, like that perspective that you talked about with the ant makes a great deal of sense from my, my perspective as somebody who relates to them as spirits, um, as spiritual beings unto themselves, because you're right. They have an entire galaxy in each individual ant that I will never experience. And I can only relate to them in this kind of human perspective that no matter how much visualization or work I do, I can't ever truly crawl inside their head and be them. So it's in a, in a lot of ways, like you said, you, these are inaccessible worlds to us. And, you know, yeah, <laughs> I just found myself <laughs> nodding a lot and going, yeah, that makes total sense. It's, um, so I don't really think we're too far off the mark from each other. I really don't. Yeah, and that's what I like. That's what I think too. That most of these, the answers are out there, and and they're very simple. The answer is is just changing yourself to help another person. I mean, in, in in a way, it. How do we get to the point where we can we accept that we can change in order to help everybody else? And sometimes it takes a a near death experience. Sometimes it takes a a religious uh, experience. Sometimes it takes I don't know a brain injury. In, in my case, it just took thinking about what I experience in my day to day and trying to conform it to these other teachings that I've always heard because they all make sense. Oh, be nicer, be better, be more selfless. How can I, how can I justify that self to myself, just justify that, those thoughts to myself without having to rely on things that I can't really attach myself to, such as strictly spiritual things or, or, or uh, a deity? How can I do it and I just happen to have a background in neuroscience. I just happen to have a background in biology, which I studied in college. So that's what I think about. I think of it as, you know, biological entities trying to live their lives as best they can. And I think the best way to do it is to be more selfless and to help other people. Yeah, I, I actually wanted to share um, a yogic teaching with you. And one of the reasons why I love yoga so much is not only is it very extremely beneficial to the connection between body and mind, but it's it's more of a philosophy and a way of life than it is a spirituality. It can be used as a spirituality and oftentimes is talked about as a spirituality. But when you are talking about the the spectrum, you know, you should be more in the middle. If you're happy, you go this way. If you're sad, you go this way. Um, but the philosophy is called gunas, G-U-N-A-S. And they have uh, the tamas, the rajas, and then the sattva, but, the misinterpretation of the sattva is that it is center where sattva is actually raised above the line and you're kind of in this perpetual um, place of perspective to where you can actually look at the situation and choose not to react in a certain way. You can still have the emotion, but you don't react with the emotion, if that makes sense. Um, and you kind of take yourself out of that emotion, that initial fight or flight response to whatever it is that's happening. And you bring yourself up into sattva, which is a very peaceful, calm. And it's what a lot of Buddhist monks talk about and like where they're at in their mindset. You know, they're like, 
what is normal for the spider is chaos for the fly, but they're mm-hmm. talking about being the web of everything. Mm-hmm. You know? It seems um, like it'd be hard to do. <laughs> it would be very hard to do. Um, and it takes a lot, a lot, a lot of practice, but I, I think you would really enjoy um, that sort of teaching. So I wanted to share that with you and allow you to kind of follow that path on your own. Um, but the the philosophy of the three gunas has actually really helped me throughout my path quite a bit. Um, Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Eric, I've got a couple. I don't want to keep you all night. I do have a couple quick questions, though, mm-hmm. that are kind of follow-up questions to some of the things we've talked about. So your wife's use of the tarot cards, is that a tool that she uses to kind of anticipate future events and try to make data points or plan for them? Is that kind of how she uses that in her, in her life? Do you know? Well, I think she, from my experience, she uses it to catch me in things that I haven't done yet and try to tell me <laughs> what I'm about to do. So I think she does want to predict yes. the future with them. So and, and it's mostly to see if I'm lying or not about something, which I, I think I, she should trust me a little bit more. But uh, I think it. so in, in my interpretation of her practice, it's to anticipate events and to see truth. Uh, so if that helps her to cope with the universe, I say go for it. Uh, Corinne, but if it, it, it always ends up, uh, I, I just, again, cause I agree with most people and what they do. I agree with whatever she does too. And that makes it. her a happy woman. From so, your perspective. Oh, good. Well, I was just saying that it, it, so you're saying she uses the tarot as kind of like an aid to help her not necessarily plan ahead, but predict ahead because she can't visualize the future. So she's using the tarot as kind of an outside visualization form. I think so because she, but, and and it's, and it is predictive because she really does believe that something like what has been shown to her will happen. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I assume that's why she does it. I haven't really asked her that deeply about it because I'm afraid to talk about it in front of her. I don't (laughs) want to seem like I'm disparaging or like, I don't believe it. I'm just like, oh, that's nice. And then I just kind of move away. <laughs> Have her feel free to drop yeah. us an email. That's the- <laughs> yeah. Just say, oh, they were really curious about why you use tarot cards. You should send Jim an email. It does seem, it, it makes logical sense though, because that's where I was thinking about it was the, mm-hmm. the, you know, without being able to visualize a future scenario, the tarot, we always think of it as representing where probability is most likely to go at any given moment without any sort of change or outside influence on it. And that's not to say anything is set in stone. It obviously can and will change depending on other circumstance, but it does provide a data point. And so if you look at it just from a, I laid down these four cards, these four cards have this meaning. These are data points that I can help plan around. It makes a lot of sense. It really does. So that's what I was wondering about. Um, Next follow-up question was for you, from your perspective, what does the word intuition mean to you? For me, intuition would mean like, it's kind of a hard question to, Mm -hmm. it's just a knowing because all of my thoughts are just a knowing. I know that one plus one is two. I know that I was born in Fort Worth, Texas. I know, or I don't know. Mm -hmm. Intuition is just a knowing in a moment without really knowing why, like, uh, and that would be my answer to that because that, that happens to me. Sometimes I just, 
I know that I should do this. I don't really have a reason why I know, but I've always kind of attributed that to my lack of a lot of personal memories. So I just assume that in the past, my subconscious recorded some event and now my subconscious is giving me the answer without me having to do a lot of work for it. Yeah. So that, that's what it was. Now, I throw that out there because I was curious um, because you, you said that you do things right in the moment. And so that meant to me the possibility that a lot of times you are acting on intuition um, without realizing that it's intuition. So I was curious about that. Now from our perspective, or at least from mine, um, Yes, those flashes of intuition could definitely be from your subconscious, but also those actually, by my definition, can sometimes be spiritual communication as well. So you, from my perspective, could be experiencing spiritual communication mm-hmm. without even realizing it in those moments of insight. Yeah, it's like, it's like a helping hand from an unseen person or an unseen entity. Yeah, exactly, yep. exactly. And the last one I wanted to follow up on, because we talked a lot about visuals. But um, it strikes me that a lot of things to do with sound or music involved not only the note that you're hearing, but anticipation of notes to come and how the music's going to flow. Is your experience for music different than it is for visualizations? Well, with mm, in my mind, there is no music and there never has been. When people say I have a song stuck in my head, that always seems a little odd to me. To me, that always meant... I want to hum a song with my voice or I want to sing a song, but it's never been something intrusive in my mind. But my experience of music, I would say is pretty normal. And like with my ears, um, I can feel an emotion with a song. I can really like a song or I can dislike another song, but, uh, and, and I, and I can dance to the rhythm. I can do anything that a normal person would do in, in with their physical bodies. It's just, I can't reproduce it in my mind at will. Uh, now when I, when I dream, I can experience all senses. I've, I've seen my mom. I've, I've heard her voice. I've picked up heavy things, all my, all dreaming. But that again, is a subconscious kind of imagination. Mm-hmm. When I'm awake, those things are lost to me. Uh, so uh, I would say my, my, my experience with music is normal in the real world, but in the mental world, it's far from normal because I just don't have music in there. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I, that, that is really an interesting addition that, I, that I'm, I'm interested by. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm actually kind of curious about the whole dream work aspect of spirituality now um, because of how, like, do you have really vivid dreams? I mean, I know you, it, that's, that's a difficult question for you to answer. Um, oh, I can answer I it because I know I do. Like when, when I'm dreaming, I'm always conscious that I don't know, oh, I'm dreaming right now, but it feels like real life. Everything yeah. looks wow. real. Everything sounds real. It's, it's, it's very, very vivid. And when I wake up, I can remember what happened. But again, I can't remember it by replaying it, but I just know right. what happened. Yeah. So I know that I dream and I know that it's vivid. And every time I sleep, it doesn't matter if it's for 20 minutes or for eight hours, there's always a dream in there somewhere. Yeah. That's fascinating. I wonder if spirit would communicate with you through that because I spirit communicates heavily with me through dreams, but I used to dream a lot. So I had to make a bargain with my spirits and say, okay, I dream a lot and I remember my dreams all the time. So if you're trying to get me a message through my dreams, only make me remember the important ones, the ones that I'm supposed to pay attention to. 
because I'm grasping at straws here, people. There's a lot. There's a lot. So, and that's ever since then, I only remember maybe, maybe one, maybe two dreams a year now. So I wonder if that's a different way too for somebody with aphantasia to experience spirit is through their dreams. Yeah, maybe if, if someone like me is, is, is trying to do that, then they could probably latch on to those dreams. Now, about half of people with aphantasia also lack all dreaming, so they can't dream at all, oh. which is uh, interesting. That is interesting. Hmm. That's exactly that, Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, is if, uh, yeah. if this is something that folks with aphantasia have or not. So that answers my question. Yeah. yeah. What is one thing that you wish people without uh, aphantasia, what do they wish that other people would understand about them? Like, what is the one thing that sticks out the most to you that you want other people outside of, like, what you have to understand? That we're pretty much normal as far as how we act and how we uh, uh, interact with people and interact with the world. We're pretty much normal. But inside, we're very different. And if we forget to call them on their birthday or if we don't reach out as much, because that's one of the biggest problems I have with, with my conditions is I don't, if I don't see you, I don't really miss you because you're, if you're not in my visual field, you're kind of an abstract concept to me. And so it just doesn't, it just isn't brought up that that does hinder some of my relationships with my family, but I have to put little post-it notes around the house, call your, call your, call your loved ones to, to do yeah. that. So if, if we seem a little aloof, it's not our fault. We're just a little bit different. Fantastic. Wow. This has been an amazing conversation. I have enjoyed immensely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like have I've about a million so much. questions, but <laughs> I know we can't keep you all night. <laughs> I, uh, uh, yeah, I feel like I've learned so much. This has yeah. been amazing. And it's really uh, giving me a lot to chew on about my own personal perspective on things and what, uh, not only how I can live more in the moment, but what I'm taking for granted. Yeah. yeah. That's really great. Thank you. You've been a wonderful guest and a wonderful person to talk to. And you've been so forthright and easygoing with the information that you've been willing to share with us. So I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. My, one of my main goals is, is because again, I have that, that podcast about SDAM. It's called the uh, SDAM podcast. It's because plug it's because yeah. <laughs> I want to raise awareness of, of the condition because people like me are out there and they don't know that they think a little bit differently. And a lot of people that are like me have discovered little, uh, tricks and, and habits that they can incorporate into their lives to make their lives a little easier. And so I try to incorporate those into my podcast so that people like me can listen in. And even people that don't have SDAM, I'm sure they could learn something from a different perspective. Yeah, uh, for sure. About what I have. And, and the podcast is on the Anchor platform, just like like yours is. Yep. I will Pretty make cool. sure I put a link in the, the show notes for our show for that and the Reddit forum. Yeah. And, um, yeah, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. We really appreciate it. Thank yeah. you for having me. I'll be back anytime. Anytime. Awesome. I love talking to you guys. Yeah, we will welcome you back. <laughs> and, thank you and very thank much. Thank you, everybody who is listening. Uh, we, we appreciate all your ongoing support as we're wrapping up this season, season two. Uh, we have one more show left in our season, and that will be the Drunken Divination episode coming up in two weeks, uh, a joint 
show with three pagans and a cat and you can find information on either of our discord servers on how you can submit a question in advance or we will be taking questions on the show as it broadcasts and uh, we're, we're just so appreciative that we have such support in that you know like i said it's the 60th show we've got 60 shows that's amazing to me and and uh, we couldn't have done it without you our listeners we really appreciate it yeah you guys are awesome and this is a formal uh beforehand apology for any sort of (laughs) accents that may fly out of my mouth when i'm drunk because it just happens guys i'm sorry i can't stop it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's awful i hate it it happens well, i'm looking forward to it and you know last year every time i've done a drunk divination apparently some really profound stuff has happened so <laughs> hey eric you might want to actually uh call in for the show maybe hey, you, I, I get really weird when i'm drinking so you'll have a good time <laughs> so well that's it from us for this episode thank you everybody for listening and uh Thank you once again, Eric, for coming, and we will talk to everybody next time around the fire.
Silent.